throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. And then the New American Standard. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You've acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, we pray for that which we uh, customarily pray for, uh, but not out of custom, out of a deep sense of necessity. We pray for the working of your Holy Spirit. Lord God, apart from your Spirit, what your word would say to us would fall upon deaf ears. Uh, We would not be able to see your truth or understand your truth or have any heart to obey your truth apart from the working of your Holy Spirit applying all the benefits of Christ to us, working in us to will and to do your good pleasure. It is your good pleasure that we would read your word, hear your word, and understand your word, and then follow it, follow it faithfully in our lives. And that's what we would pray for. We know that your word is a powerful means of grace to build us up in our faith, and especially in challenging and difficult times. And so we pray. We pray that our meditation upon your word this morning uh, would be uh, very instrumental in helping us to trust you to trust you in difficult times, to be faithful to you in calamitous situations. And then, Lord, as those who trust their God, uh, we might be serving those around us who need to know you. Help us to be salt and light uh, to our generation, and especially during this season of great difficulty. In Jesus' name, amen. So this week, the President of the United States called for a national emergency, declared what's going on a national emergency, and he also requested that today would be a national day of prayer. Um, Those are sufficient reasons for us to take our uh, normal process of working through uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and to look particularly at the topic we're looking at this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 2 itself is about prayer. It's about the church praying. Uh, And today would be an opportunity for us to pray as a church, but how should we pray? In what direction should we pray? With what confidence should we pray? The confidence that we should pray with is God's divine providence, the providence of God. What lies behind and below and around and as foundational to Our commitment to pray is God's providence. Listen to how the Westminster Confession Shorter Catechism defines the providence of God. So in question number 11, it asks, uh, what are the works of God's providence? And the answer is this. God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all of his creatures and all of their actions. Now, it is this doctrine, above everything else, that entitles us to be confident, not anxious, in times of great emergencies or calamities. It is this doctrine 
to which we can anchor our souls and our prayers when unsettling times are happening in the world around us. So our text, 2 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9, although it's brief, it is the very text that Stephen Sharnock, a, a great uh, preacher and writer from the Puritan era, so back in the, the second half of the 1600s, he took this text uh, for his treatise on divine providence. But let me give you some historical background. What's going on surrounding this text in Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9? This, the statement itself is addressed to Asa. Asa is a king of Judah. He's the third king of Judah. After uh, Israel split into two nations, the northern kingdom, Israel, the southern kingdom, Judah. Just three kingships after King Solomon. So Asa uh, is in a situation where uh, there's an immediate threat. And the immediate threat is the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel's king. Uh, he's been taking territory from the southern kingdom, from Judah. <clears throat> and presently, he's only five miles away from the capital city of Jerusalem. The military threat is just that close to where Asa is. Now, in the past, in Asa's life, when other countries, larger and even more powerful than the northern kingdom, threatened Judah, as king over Judah, he would appeal to God, he would pray to God, and God would providentially deliver him. But in this case, in this situation, Asa's faith has weakened. And instead of turning to God, he turns to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, forms an alliance with Syria to be protected from the king Basha of Israel. So that's why... Hanani, the seer, a prophet, comes to speak to Asa. Asa has rejected trusting in the Lord his God. Asa has trusted in a secular and pagan king. And so the prophet says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly, and from now on, you will have wars. So, brief text, but contained within this text is the doctrine of divine providence, which I said Stephen Sharnock used this text to expound extensively that doctrine in his treatise. Now, what I want to say this morning is this. I have borrowed very heavily from Sharnock's outline. I have followed his two main points and several of his subpoints, and I've adapted his content to what I think should be said on this particular occasion this morning. Sharnock's two main points are these. First, he describes God's providence. And then secondly, he states the goal of God's providence. Providence. And to those two points, I want to add a third how to pray and live under God's providence. So this morning, we will describe the providence of God, we will state the goal of the providence of God, 
and we'll speak to how to live under the providence of God in a calamitous situation. Now, with the text in mind, Second Chronicles 16.9, first, God's providence is described. Sharnock gives a five-fold description of God's providence out of this particular text. First, he says this. God's providence is immediate. Now, what he means by immediate is not so much in a time sense, but in a spatial sense. That is, the eyes of the Lord are present down here, not only up there, because they move to and fro throughout the entire earth. So the metaphor, the eyes of the Lord, moving to and fro throughout the entire earth, picture God's providence as being on the spot, like boots on the ground. Or I thought of this comparison. Think of Google Maps. You have Google Maps satellite view, but you also have Google Maps street view, right? So you have the image from outer space, the transcendent perspective, but then you also have the the image that's right there on the street, the street view image. And what Sharnock is telling us here is that in this text, the providence of God is a Google street image perspective. It is right there on the spot, right there, moving to and fro throughout the earth in the same way that you and I can go anywhere in the world and give a street view of almost any place that we would ever want to. Street view perspective, where God's providence is governing and controlling all of the affairs of the world. God's providence with us, around us in this way. God's providence immediately here. Secondly, God's providence is quick. Um, Notice that the prophet says, the eyes of the Lord run. They don't stroll. They don't simply walk. God's providence is not slow about earthly matters. They're not sleepy or drowsy eyes which have to grope about slowly in the dark before they understand what's going on. God's eyes of providence race quickly about the earth. So God's providence and all of his providential care views the earth and everything that's happening in real time. Thirdly, God's providence is over the whole earth, all things in all parts in all corners of the earth. God is presently in providential control over the beginning and the end of the medical supply chain. That's important to know. God has the toilet paper shortage entirely under his control. Seriously, there is no place in the whole world where this virus is present and spreading that lies outside of God's divine providence. Fourthly, God's providence is diligent. Sharnock notes that God's eyes move to and fro, which is to say God's providence moves toward things. God's providence moves away from things. But God's providence never misses anything. The movement of God's providence described here is never because of distraction. 
He doesn't suddenly see a squirrel and his attention gets diverted. Rather, it's always because of design. God's providence always moves according to design. And it is never fixed on only one thing. But God's providence is always fixed on all things at all times simultaneously. Then the efficacy. God's providence is efficacious. It's effective in its control over all things. This is because God's providence is exercised in and through his infinite wisdom and his infinite power. God sees all things. God knows all things. And God wills all things for our good and his own glory. The scriptures tell us that God works out everything according to the counsel of his own will. The scriptures tell us that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. And so here we have the very first anchor in terms of our prayer. God's providence is truly preserving and governing all of his creaturely world in a holy, wise, and powerful manner. So we are called to pray our supplications, our prayers, our thanksgivings, our intercessions to the God who reigns over this present pandemic. Now, for a second point, Sharnock is going to describe the goal of God's providence. And he divides that goal into two parts. The first, that God, through his providential acting, intends to give his strong support. As the ESV says, to, strong, to, to give strong support, or the New American Standard, that he may strongly support. God's intention and design is to give his support in a very strong manner. And it's directed toward human affairs. God has a vested interest and purpose and intention to give his strong support in the affairs of this world that affect what is happening to human beings. This understanding of God's providence was so deeply embedded within our founding fathers that at the Constitutional Convention, 1787, Benjamin Franklin, 81 years old, who was well known to be a deist and not a full-fledged Christian, well known to be a deist, not a full-fledged, Jesus-trusting, Bible-believing Christian, a deist, even he urged the assembly to hold prayer to the Father daily. He did so on the basis of his understanding of divine providence. This is what Franklin said as he addressed the moderator of the convention. He said, I have lived a long time, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? In other words, the strong support of God's providence 
is designed for the affairs of men. Such is our strong motivation to pray. If even a deist can see this, how much more a Jesus-trusting, full-fledged Christian believer? For God is able to turn the affairs of men in such a direction as to demonstrate and present his strong support. And then Sharnock addresses the second part of God's goal and his providence. Who will see this strong support? To whom is this strong support presented? And the prophet Hanani says this, to those whose hearts are completely God's. To those whose hearts are completely God. Now King Asa's heart, sadly, was divided. His earlier faith and confidence in the Lord and His providence was now weak. He did what Scripture tells us not to do. Psalm 146 tells us, put no confidence in princes. Do not trust in mortal human beings in whom there is no salvation or deliverance. For human beings die and they return to the earth. On that very day they die, their plans and purposes perish. But how blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. The prophet is telling Asa, that could have been his. That strong support could have been his. But that has now been forfeited because he's turned and placed his trust in human beings and human beings only. But for those whose heart is completely the Lord's, they will get God's strong support. It is they who will receive it. And so as Solomon said in the Proverbs, trust in the Lord with your whole heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Here is the anchor into God whose providence directs the affairs of the world even when the course of the world seems to go against our own interest. The very goal of God's providence in His great wisdom and power is for our good as well as His own glory. Your life is worth far more than that of a sparrow. Finally, to apply these scriptural truths that Sharnock has unfolded, how to pray, how to live under God's providence, especially in calamitous times, especially when everything about us in the world seems to be hinging upon fear. How are we supposed to live? In a time and calamity of fear, our first responsibility and that which is going to benefit us the most is worshipful prayer, prayer that lifts up the providence of God. Let me say this. 
Anchor your thoughts in what's happening around you and you will behave as if there is no God and as if you're not a Christian. I cannot say that strongly enough. This has been the way through all of human history in God's dealing with his people. When they've taken their eyes off the Holy One who sits on high, who reigns over all things, when all they see is what is happening around them, their lives become indistinguishable at that point from those who deny that God exists. To their detriment, to that which will crush them, to that which will make them think that life and everything in it is hopeless and there is no good thing that ever is going to happen. That is why what your soul most deeply needs is to recommit to the worship of the God whose providence rules over all things. Now listen to what the Westminster Confession says in chapter 5, its first section. Listen to these words, and you can look them up, and see how these words form the kind of strong prayer and confidence in the providence of God that we need. In faith, we need to pray these things because God's own Spirit will work in us to give us what our faith lacks in terms of trust and confidence. So we look to God this way. God, the great creator of all things, does uphold and direct and dispose and govern all creatures, actions and things, from the greatest even to the least, by his most wise and holy providence, according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom and power and justice and mercy. These are great words to pray. Even to see Jesus in these words. For Jesus is presently sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high as Hebrews 1 tells us, Christ right now is upholding all things by the word of His power. We need to pray in order to honor God as the one who is able to do all of His holy will. He said to the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 32, 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh, is anything too difficult for me. We need to pray as the newly converted, very young believer, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, prayed upon his conversion. Listen to his prayer, Daniel chapter 4, 34 to 37. He lifts his eyes up to heaven and he blesses the Most High and he praises and honors him who lives forever and ever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation and all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will 
among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? And then Nebuchadnezzar goes on to say, I praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. You and I need to recommit to worshipful prayer that lifts up the greatness of the providence of God. Then we need to practice and commit to, listen carefully, worry less prayer. Worry less. W-O-R-R-Y hyphen L-E-S-S. Worry less prayer. We must pray believing and trusting that God's word is true and faithful. Listen to what the Apostle Peter says. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Cast all your anxiety upon God. He cares for you. He is your shepherd. He will take care of you. You may be looking at the world and you can say, we are all walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And what does Scripture say? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Listen to Jesus. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, they, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things." And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And then, the passage that Benjamin Franklin was referring to. The deist Benjamin Franklin, 
who knew his Bible and knew the Bible promises concerning the providence of God. Franklin was quoting from Matthew 10, 29 to 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. The Apostle Paul connects then God's providential care to the gospel in this manner. Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, and the apostle there means, if God is for us in every, every aspect of his providential care, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So, now is the time to pray, not to worry, but to pray. Supplications and prayers and thanksgivings and intercession on behalf of all people on behalf of your church family and your biological family and your neighbors and your co-workers and your friends, trusting in the providence of God. He who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Now, to finish, uh, someone referred me to um, an article by Matt Smethurst. He's a an online uh, editor for the Gospel Coalition. He's also a book author. In his March 12th editorial online, he wrote an introductory paragraph to an extended quotation of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote an article back in 1948 titled, On Living in an Atomic Age. And so Smethurst writes these words, it is now clear that the COVID-19 is a deadly, serious global pandemic and all necessary precautions should be taken. Still, C.S. Lewis's words written 72 years ago ring with a relevance for us. Just replace, quote, atomic bomb with, quote, coronavirus. Here is what C.S. Lewis wrote. In one way, we think a great deal too much of the atomic bomb. How are we to live in an atomic age? I am tempted to reply, why? As you would have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year. Or as you would have lived in the Viking Age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of syphilis, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented. 
and quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had, indeed, one very great advantage over our ancestors, anesthetics. But we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we're going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it finds us, doing sensible things, human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about bombs. They may break our bodies. A microbe can do that but they need not dominate our minds. So, pray. Live and pray with a resting sense of God's sovereign providence over all the affairs of this life. Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. Amen. Our God and Father, May these words speak to us in such a way that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock, our redeemer. In Jesus' name.